Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a podcast for lovers and dreamers and me. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. That's right. This is for the lovers and the dreamers and everyone who gets Kermit the Frog references. Thank you for being here on the There It Is podcast. Very fun episode for you today. I talked to artistic director of the Alchemy Comedy Theater, Harrison Brookie is another improv episode. He does improv, he instructs, and he runs a theater and a festival. And he has a big family that he comes from and is creating right now. As we speak, he's creating a family <laughs> that is very large. Uh, he's got a third child on the way. He talks about that a little bit in this episode. More on that later, but first, why don't you head on over to thereitispod.com, look up some blogs, some old episodes, they're fun, some fun, good informational things there, and also, why don't you support the podcast, help keep the lights on, guys, help keep the lights on, not necessarily my lights, the lights of There It Is Pod, and also, if you are listening on iTunes or SoundCloud, you can leave a review and you can subscribe. That helps me out a lot. Please do that. And you can also follow us on Twitter at There It Is Pod. And you can like us on Facebook at There It Is Pod. That helps me out a ton. Do it. Chat with me on social media. Don't say mean things to anyone, but including me. Who likes mean things? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I said earlier I have on Harrison Brookie. He is the artistic director of the improv company that I'm in here in beautiful Greenville, South Carolina. We are about to go into a festival, so we talk a little bit about that as well. This was a really great talk. I think there's a lot of nuggets of information that people can utilize and take in. I really enjoyed it. I think you are as well. There's plenty to learn about instructing, about doing improv, and about starting a theater of your own. So give it a good listen. It's a very good one-two punch between last week and this week. Zach Ward and someone who was very inspired by Zach Ward and Harrison Brookie this week. So enjoy this one-two punch. We did this chat live and in person and not in my studio closet, so there's some different audio, but you'll enjoy it nonetheless. Here's my chat with Harrison Brookie. We just got done with sketch practice. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we we kind of just ran this whole thing together. Yeah. <laughs> Putting together a holiday show that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Our political sketch show is just about to end yeah, on election day. One, one more. Yeah. It's going to be a crazy day. Either emotions are going to be real good or yeah. real bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, probably both. Like 40% of people will be really upset and 60% of people will be really happy. And then 10% of people won't know that an election that There was happened. an election. Yeah, yeah. They didn't vote. Um, I mean, I was speaking more for myself. Oh, <laughs> oh gotcha. Yeah, you personally. Yes. Real concerned or not concerned. Yeah. Uh, if... if 
I, I just feel like if Evan McMullen wins, it's oh my over. Gosh. It's it over is, for this country. If there's, a tie, if there's a tie in the Electoral College and the House of Representatives has to pick, <laughs> and they pick Evan McMullen, I... Uh, that's it. That's it. That's it for this country. We're, Goodbye, we're America. We're in trouble. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, we were doing sketch, but we mostly do improv. Right. You've been doing improv for 12-ish years? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. 2004 is when I started. When... When and why did you get into it? Accident. I uh, was taking an intro theater class in college, mm-hmm. which is, I think, a pretty good argument for like a liberal arts education. Yeah. Like, taking this intro class, and you had to get class credit and for like setting up for a play or selling tickets or auditioning. Mm-hmm. And so me and the freshman that I was said, what's the easiest of those things? Audition. And what's the easiest to audition for? An improv team. They literally are auditioning to make stuff up. So I auditioned almost really not even knowing what it was. I went and saw one show before uh, auditioned and uh, got in. Barely, apparently. Got in. And, yeah, because uh, your audition process for Mock Turtle Soup was five through the door or six through the door? Well, yeah, there's a. I, I think there was a callback at the time. Maybe not, maybe not, but it was like an hour and a half, kind of like a workshop. It was almost like mm-hmm. a, here's what a 101 might be, do some scenes. And then it ends, yeah, with you doing... You know, five or six characters over a minute pretty fast. It's kind of a trial by fire. So, you had no experience doing improv before that? None. I mean, I'd done some drama. Uh-huh. And so in that sense, you know, a lot of drama rehearsals are improv skills. I mean, did you just have a knack for it in the rehearsal? Like, why did why did you get through even by the skin of your teeth if you had not done it before? Yeah, I mean, this was like 12 years ago. So, the, like, the high school improv teams, you know, they're in the early 2000s. I don't think that was as nearly as common mm-hmm. as it is now. I come from a very large family. And so, I think that ensemble feeling, that support <laughs> bits, jumping on fun ideas, and yeah. even be willing to, like, make a fool of yourself. Right. Uh, and even audition for an improv team, right? Like, even, like, the willingness to say, oh, I'll just do this, mm-hmm. uh, I think helped a lot. And also having to talk really fast. I also to talk get stuff in. really fast. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have to think fast to talk fast. Yeah, I guess. I mean, maybe. it probably honed your being in a large family. You're trying to get yeah. a word in edgewise. You have to think really fast. Yeah. Just to get in. And it's probably quantity over quality on that one. <laughs> yeah, I say a lot Possibly. of words. Uh, that's what we've all noticed. So, <laughs> this is an intervention. <laughs> so you did that uh, mock turtle soup at Clemson University. 2004 to 2008, because mm-hmm. I did grad school for a year there as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. After grad school, is that when you moved up to Durham? Moved up to, yeah, Raleigh-Durham, Chapel mm-hmm. Hill area. Joined Dirty South Improv. Yep, DSI, yeah. did improv there. Just had Zach Ward on last week. So Wonderful, yeah. one yeah. punch. Yeah, and listening to him, uh, if you haven't listened to that podcast, here's a promotion for that podcast you really should it's a lot of great stuff and i even sent him a message after i listened to it and i said i forget how much he and i like philosophically agree on a lot of things mm-hmm. because i learned so much of how to run and organize a theater from zach that was the you know, exactly. first improv theater i'd ever kind of been connected with you started this theater alchemy uh which is a ton of work what made you want to do it i mean i think i saw the community that dsi had created i think when i moved up there I don't know if I would have said to myself, I want to do an right. improv theater in Greenville. That seems like kind of a stupid thing to say. Like, who Right. Was, you were up there for... Uh, four, three or four years. Yeah. Well, I moved up there. I had visited for their festival, the mm-hmm. North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival. Um, 
and just liked it. So we went and visited my wife and I. Uh, and Wasn't your wife at the time though? She was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, she was. Yeah, and because uh, we married right after. Uh, oh, you're after one of those. People. I'm one of those <laughs> southern gentlemen who get married <laughs> in married July the after summer he graduated. Gra- oh gosh, that's exactly right. That's yeah. a crazy time. Yeah, period I mean, it's funny. It is. A, it is a crazy time. <laughs> I, I would put marrying my wife kind of in the same category of, of auditioning for an improv team in the sense that's like. Who would have known it was like, like who was I to know whether that, I would yeah. in, enjoy that or not? You yeah, know? fresh out of college. Not a, like so fresh out of college. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So my wife is amazing. And it, it was yeah, like, I is. just like, in the same way, lucked into marrying her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like locked her down, right? Before she realized what other options she had in the real world. Yeah, so I was up there for about three or four years and really learned kind of how it, how, how they function, how they run. I took a lot of ideas from them. I kind of call... The Alchemy Comedy Theater here in Greenville, I call it like a third generation improv theater. So if like Second City was the zeroth generation, because they don't really do improv, they like use improv to write stuff. So uh, IO would kind of be that first generation, right? They create mm-hmm. long form improv in Chicago um, and kind of goes out from there with like UCB and DSI being formed around the same time being second generation. Mm-hmm. Let's take long form improvisation out of Chicago and bring it to the bigger cities, the bigger areas. And the Research Triangle is a pretty big area. Right. Um, so I kind of view myself as like a third generation. We really benefit from all the hard work these other groups of people have done to show that improv can work to do scenes. It can be great for shows. It can create a business around it. And it can work in these smaller metropolitan areas like Greenville. And you learned how to run a theater there. When did you get the butt? When, like at, at that time period you're there, how long into your span at DSI did you go, I want to do this? I mean, I think I always knew I, again, I, I think if, if you asked me when I first moved there, there are you going to move it to Greenville? The answer was always yes. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to move back as my hometown, come back. All our grandparents are here. and Just wanted some time away. Yeah. It was like a, my wife and I were like, let's go on an adventure, but an adventure not too far away, you know, four <laughs> right. hours away. And then you needed improv there. Yeah. So and then, yeah. DSI a after improv. your festival experience there said this seems like the right place yeah and Chapel Hill is such a cool place uh, it so is Chapel yeah. Hill Durham and then I kind of worked outside of Raleigh Tide High School um, in a rural school over there so I would say if you asked me I would say oh I don't know but opening a theater in Greenville would be fun mm-hmm. you know and so I think once I kind of saw how it worked like oh this is doable you right. know if not even at the scale that they do but the scale that we would want be comfortable with um, so I think it was kind of always a part of the plan, but kind of audacious to say it out loud. to me a while, maybe to say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, of course. Who goes somewhere and says, I'm going to start a theater? Yeah. But you right. did eventually say, oh, let's let's do this. And how did you try to learn from what you're seeing Zach do? Yeah, ask lots of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, something I say a lot here is the squeaky wheel gets the grease in good ways. It's kind of a negative, but it's also positive. It's, I want to learn these things. Zach didn't ask me to teach classes. I said, right. I want to teach classes. Right. He's like, okay, well, here's how it works. Um, and I, I said, I want to coach. You know, I asked uh, who I think, Paula Pazdurka, who I think was the uh, associate artist director or, or had some title there early on. Like, I want to do a, du- a duo team with you, you know? Oh, yeah. And so you just kind of kind of put yourself out there. Not everyone said yes. And uh, yeah, and just kind of from there, got a, kind of on their uh, Armando team, Mr. Diplomat, and learned a lot from there and just, yeah, just trying a lot and asking a lot and being comfortable if people say no I think that's really important people I think it's super important all yeah. the time and I'm like no or not yet or <laughs> do these steps and I think it's, if you ask kind of an uncomfortable question as long as you're okay with an uncomfortable answer then I'm totally fine with it yeah 
I think m- the more people realize that they're asking yes or no questions, that yes. they can get a no, the better for yeah, them. Yeah, and if they're comfortable with that, I think that's fine. <clears throat> yeah, and it's usually, it's it's almost never a no forever. It's right. usually like it can be a no for 10 years. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, and also it might be a no from that person, but not a no from someone else in another situation three months down the road. Like you never know. Yeah. But putting yourself out there is always the better idea. Totally. Yeah. And being upfront with what you want. I mean, I, there's people who join the theater and after their audition, because they may have a previous experience, say, I know I can't coach yet, but that's something that I'm interested in. I'm like, yeah. Great. Noted. Got it. Yeah. That's great. It yeah. lets you know a lot, but it also. It's good for them to process that. Right. They could yeah. be thinking, oh, I would like to do this, but if they never ask... Yeah, it's audacious to verbalize it. Right, right. What's that book, The Secret? Isn't that what it is? Like, that you is say it out book, loud, yeah. right? There's some power to that, right? I mean, even just to just it's saying it mind, means yeah. it puts it in your brain, mm-hmm. even, if, even if it's not a magical thing. Now it's real. Now it's real. And yeah. so many thoughts that rattle around our brains don't make sense. Mm-hmm. And then when we say something to somebody or when we don't understand a situation, this happens in any kind of relationship, you're going through yeah. something and you're like, oh, I don't understand this. And when you start verbalizing something to someone, you go, oh, I get it now. Or, yeah. oh, I'm realizing all these things. Yeah. So it's always good to ask. Yeah. And at the core, questions. isn't that what like improvisation is, right? Mm-hmm. We're like Put an putting idea the idea out, out there. there and someone's like, oh, here's what I like about that idea. Right. And you're just supporting it from there. If So you have taken that experience of asking all these questions, learning all these things, then the move to Greenville comes and you start a theater. Mm-hmm. What's going on in your mind? How are you going through that process? Yeah, so about a year before I moved back, my wife and I uh, had kind of like figuring out when exactly we wanted to move back. I talked to Ben Burris and Meg Pearson and Jason Underwood, who I'd known from Mock Drill Soup College mm-hmm. Improv at Clemson University. And I'd said, hey, this is something I want to do when I come back. I want to start a weekly show and eventually start a training center. You know, I want to create a theater here in Greenville. Um, and you guys are wonderful. I'd, I'd love for you to help me found this. So you were thinking that from the beginning. From the beginning, yeah. And that's something, too. I remember I, a friend of mine started a theater in Tucson. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Lukasiewicz, check it out. And um, he, one of the things he asked is, like, oh, it seems like things are really going really great. How do you do it? And I said, all right, we'll find a city. That's amazing. I mean, Greenville just got listed on this list. I just saw it yesterday with like Tangier, Morocco, right? Like go visit Tangier, Morocco and Greenville, South Carolina. So find a city that's amazing, <laughs> right? Right. Find a, a product that's amazing. Improv is like inherently so fun and so helpful. Agreed. And then find three of your best friends who are incredibly talented and have been doing improv for a decade and do improv with them. It's that easy, folks. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were just so talented from the beginning. It really, I think, set us up for so much success. I mean, I would even say our very first show was great. I mean, so, I wasn't there. I can't confirm or deny. But you were one of our early guests, even I before wasn't you started improvising, person, yeah. right? I mean, we <laughs> yeah. were, there were strong shows from the beginning. It's because the three of them definitely so talented, and then, and I had probably seen Jason do improv already, right? Um, because he was here with laughing stuff, right? Yeah, and so taking these people who have this high talent and like maximizing the potential, mm-hmm. and then you know, very soon we kind of. I taught the first round of classes of all the levels, and then slowly each of them kind of claimed a level, and it gave a diversity of teaching. Uh, and it's just been great. Yeah, so that was kind of always the plan. To to make it a, a – one thing I, I said a lot really early on, even at the first auditions, which we went from four people to ten people or something, <laughs> right? I said the goal is for this to be so much bigger than me that I can't possibly do everything, which is totally happened. And now it's totally happened. Sure. Yeah, yeah, it totally happened. <laughs> well, get to that. I do want to say you were able to hit the ground running mm-hmm. because of who you had with you. Yeah, totally. But if someone – maybe doesn't have that experience mm. and it's 
okay, we're good, but we're still just trying to figure out how to improvise together. Yeah. What is your advice for that situation? Maybe it's not continue. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I saw someone posted on somewhere in one of the improv Facebook groups that exist everywhere on Facebook about like, hey, people don't seem to be taking workshops at my festival as much. How do we deal with that? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of great discussion. But one thing that I think I, I noticed in the discussion was I don't think people are taking less workshops. They're taking less workshops at your festival because there's so many festivals. Yeah. You know? I mean, there is a festival every single weekend of the year. Yeah. You know? And more than that. There's hundreds in the United States. And so I think the solution is to get better. Train yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, really learn. I mean, I, I, we have a festival coming up and I'm going to take workshops at it more than 10 years into it because there's great people that I want to learn mm-hmm. from. Um and I still rehearse and still want to get better. So I think that getting yourself at a level that you feel comfortable with, starting shows that I think are have a higher success rate. Mm-hmm. So our very first team was not a Herald team. Heralds are hard to do and especially bring an audience on board to oh, know yeah. exactly what it is. So we started with that Armando. Someone tells a story and we do scenes inspired by it. So yeah, everybody knows what a story is. Exactly right. And then everyone gets the idea of a scene inspired by a story. Exactly Or by right. something. They've seen tons of movies that have that as the, as the log line. Yeah. And if you feel like you're not at that level yet, then like do short form or do short form in the first half mm-hmm. and then interview someone in the audience for the second half. So find a show format that works and then kind of grow it from there um, so we have a team here at the, at the theater that does a improvised mono scene one long scene a mm-hmm. group of people that's a really hard show to do oh yeah and it took us a long time to get enough talent in the theater to be able to do a show like that even though that was always the goal to be able right. to do like an improvised one act play so when you're starting out in a theater and you start adding some people you are realizing here's what is going to be our weakness I mean you have to be realizing that mm. right or at least you know what you're going to be struggling with yeah yeah. I mean, you didn't go, you didn't start the model scene team monolith and say, right. well, this is going to be gangbusters from the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Yeah. What are the skills that we have? Play to those strengths with always the plan to add more strengths. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe, I think, one thing that's been a strength of Alchemy is every season we add at least one team. We had originally one team, then two teams, then three, and mm-hmm. what do we have now? A dozen or so. A ton, right. Yeah. And so there's always a new challenge, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I mean, just, just a, it was a year ago or so, uh, me and Jason Underwood, one of the founders, committed ourselves to try to do a one-hour improvised scene in one location with just our characters uh, in a bar is kind of what we decided on. Mm-hmm. And that was hard. Yeah. We started with like a 25-minute set and then a 35-minute set and then a 45-minute set. And we did that hour. It wasn't hard. You know, we <laughs> right. gave ourselves It's like a challenge. marathon. It's like training for a marathon. Exactly right. So like we, we never are comfortable with the level we're at. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's I think that's a part of the alchemy kind of in our DNA is that it's a community of people who take workshops, who learn, who want to get better, who challenge ourselves. We are kind of very form focused. Mm-hmm. That always gives us an extra, an extra challenge, an extra challenge to coach or an extra challenge to play. Um, I think it can be a weakness for improvisers who say, "Oh, we've gotten to, we can get a seventy, a C, or a D on this show <laughs> right. by just doing short form. We're good. We'll just ride this train. Right. We'll ride this five dollar improv train, you know, or whatever it is. So I think that gives them more opportunity for challenges, and that's important for me. That's good. My background is education. Yeah. Yeah, so as that, a, yeah. That's, that, that's a huge part. As anyone who takes a workshop or class of yours can tell. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Improv class is like, oh, he's doing that thing where he's making us answer questions. <laughs> uh, what's that teaching? Oh, that teaching thing. <laughs> Total teaching uh, thing. And I would even and to, and add to that, like my education background is when we started teaching workshops, I had the curriculum written for every level before the class started. Even right. The first 101, the 101 was written. A lot of it was 
adopted and inspired uh, from the classes of 101 that I taught at DSI. So that helped a lot to deal, teach somewhere and use a lot of the skills that they used to teach. Um, so I would say have a plan of how to teach people. Mm-hmm. You know, Even if your plan is not to have a complete training center, what is the goals you want them to learn? So in Alchemy, there are five levels right now of improv because um, here are the skills we think you need to be able to perform on the teams. So it's yeah. a long play that you have to have in starting yes. a theater. You really need to yeah. be thinking, what are the goals that I want the theater to have and what needs to happen along the way. Yeah, and that's a great example of, uh, so there's a book called The E-Myth, which I have not read, but I read the article about the book. And, <laughs> that's uh, good enough. It's good enough. It's good enough. Uh, so go out there and buy that article. Um, but one of my takeaways from the article was The E-Myth, which is the entrepreneur myth, which is someone who like, I play saxophone. I want to play saxophone more. I'm going to create a business where a bunch of saxophonists get together and we play saxophone. As that business grows, you'll have other things to do, the taxes and the, the business side of it, right? And just the promotion and uh, all these things. And the first thing that you're going to lose is playing the saxophone because everyone can do that now that you've built the system. Right. You're the only one who knows how to do the other stuff because you right. built it. And so I think one thing that hurts, I think, improv organizations is that what makes you so good at being present mm-hmm. and being flexible and being a part of an ensemble doesn't always make you a great entrepreneur. Right, someone who's having to think to the future. Right, right? and it just so happened again, this is like I stumbled into improv, I stumbled into my wife, and I stumbled into this business of like, oh, it turns out I'm decent at this, <laughs> thinking forward, planning ahead. I enjoy that just as much as I enjoy being present, um, and so that was a, a, a true stroke of luck. So I would one thing uh, I wanted to talk about with you as a coach of a team who's also performing. Have you noticed? In your time coaching, and this probably was earlier on when you were coaching, mm-hmm. that you got really good at understanding how to explain it to people, but maybe not as good anymore at doing it yourself. Was that something that ever happened for you? I started coaching probably earlier in my time as an improviser mm-hmm. than you. Yeah. But so I, I can explain someone how to do something, but I can't yet do it with... Well, not necessarily not yet do it, but I almost feel like... The same kind I'm, of consistency? Yeah, like uh, when I'm coaching my Herald team, Bridget, there's certain things that I'm explaining to them. It's like, I feel like I understand this philosophy real mm-hmm. well, yeah. and I don't incorporate it as well yeah. as I understand. Yeah, and if you came and watched your shows, you're not going to be able to bat a thousand on that skill. Yeah. Exactly. Something I say a lot to encourage people to get into coaching, even if it's like a coach and indie team, so you're not committing to like a six month, is mm-hmm. how we do it here, is the coach has a huge advantage because they have the notebook. <laughs> they have the chair. They have the audience perspective. Right. So they have the bird's eye view of what's going on. So you can take a team of improvisers who are, you know, say an 8 out of 10. I don't know what, mm-hmm. what I'm ranking them out of, right? And they can have a coach who's a 6 out of 10 because he can see everything they can't see because he's in the chair. He has a notebook. He's writing on the beats. Mm-hmm. He can he or she can see what it is. So, oh, totally. I mean, there's such an advantage of like, oh, I see the pattern in this scene, right? Right. Uh, because I watched it. The scene. Right. It's so easy. I wrote down this and I knew what the first beat was, right? And so it's a huge advantage. Or like, oh, I see where you could have like, your vehicle for this pattern is kind of yourself. It would be better to have a vehicle as where a better character for it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, wouldn't it be better if this character was creepy? And that even portrays the funny pattern even more clearly, right? Uh, but yeah, it's easy to do it when you have the notebook and you have like, right. cause you're completely, if I forgot uh, the first beat, I can just look down on my pad. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they, and when you're on stage, there's this added muddle to your brain. <clears throat> I mean, think about the very first improv show you did. You don't know what's going on. You're like being dragged <laughs> behind a trailer, you know? Right. And so and the more and more you do it, 
the cloud kind of close away from your head. The analogy I give a lot is like for a war movie, doing an improv scene is like the moment the the shell hits the ground, and you hear that, ooh, and you can't you can't hear or know anything. Everything's like a muddle. That's what improv feels like for a really long time. As you get into a scene, you get out, and you're like, oh, I survived, <laughs> right? But the more you do it, and the more experience you get in rehearsal, which is why we put it every person in alchemy rehearses, uh, and why we have opportunities for jams or drop-in shows, is just the more you do it, the more that cloud goes away, and you can kind of see things more clearly. And the easy thing about the coaches. They're never on stage. Right. They're always in that calm position because the pressure's never on them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the general from afar giving directions. They're not the soldier in the right. Ditch. Yeah. Back to running a theater yeah. and having a curriculum in a school of, as a part of that theater. You have a lot of decisions you have to make going in. You got to know this is the approach I want us yeah. to have, a philosophy I want us to have. Yeah. Uh, nobody has put together their philosophy as clearly as UCB has sure. in, in a curriculum yeah. that that hardcore. But you still have to do that to a certain degree, at least. Yeah. How, as you have gone on, the theater is now five years old. Yeah. Has anything changed from the way you thought about things before versus now? What has progressed? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, something that was important to me from the beginning is because it was so so beneficial for me because to build a community, I think it was easier to do it around a concept of long-form improvisation. Mm -hmm. More than short-form and more than sketch and more than stand-up, improv has this more community-based feel to it. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to build a community around this idea, long-form seemed to be better at it. So that was a big thing for me was everyone in alchemy does long form. Mm -hmm. There are short form teams. There are short form shows, but no one only does short form. And currently we, and really for most of our history, we've had no short form rehearsals. Um, So that's been a pretty big emphasis of theater. We want people to be able to do long form. Mm -hmm. That's like our comparative advantage. What we are good at, right? And it's what we have the skills to teach and to do even though it's not the most audience-friendly show for your grandma to come watch, right? (laughs) Right. It's like long-form journalism. It's more rewarding, it's more engaging, but a lot less people see it. Right. Um, So I would say a shift, is a most recent shift for me in our sketch program, which is a show we're building now, which is a show kind of based on a theme, which is how most sketch teams work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most sketch shows, like say Second City, they'll say, hey, we're going to do a show, here's the topic, and we'll add and organize sketches around that. Um, And then... um, Short form, you know, a lot of theaters use short form as like the anchor show for their theaters to draw people in. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, that wasn't our focus. I think that's become more of a focus. You know, we have now two of the six weekly shows are short, our short form shows, form, yeah. and one of them, which is now only in its second season, is kind of our one of our all star shows. If someone says I want to come see a show, that's really the one I point them to now, right? And it took us a long time to get there. And and the reason why is. I never wanted anyone to come and say, oh, that's all I want to do. Right. All I want to do is get really good at forward reverse and I'll be happy. Because <laughs> yeah. that person, I think, is less likely, not always, but less likely to be someone who wants to be a part of the community, serve the community, staff for shows, mm-hmm. come watch shows. I mean, how many times can you watch forward reverse? Right. Not as many times as you can watch a Herald. You know? yeah. And so I think it just gives people a lot less invested in the art of value. But right. now that we've kind of built this world where everyone knows that's the culture, we can have these uh, extra teams we can do where they can perform short form every week. And uh, and I think in the future of Alchemy, there will probably be another. Like there's no, there's, no, right. there's no short form on Friday. It would make sense that we would add a kind of a version of our Improv All-Star show on a Friday night as some kind of maybe competitive version of that. Mm-hmm. Another chance people can perform short form at a high level because they're already doing long form at a high level. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to make so many decisions. Everybody would run their theater differently. Yeah, You've had- and they should. Right. That's important to me. That I think <laughs> someone says, oh, you do it this way. That must be the way I should do it. But if you're running a theater in Las Vegas or Greenville, South Carolina, they should be different. They should be different, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of discussions that you have. I've been privy to the different opinions that people have had about things. Yeah. How do you stick to your guns on that sort of stuff? I mean, you had to make a decision years ago about how you wanted this to be. Yeah. That's a great question. I I would say you should create in any business. So my my, my mentioned grad school or my my grad degree is in economics. So I I think of alchemy a lot in a a business mindset, which Mm -hmm. also comes from Zach. I mean, he very much runs uh, DSA as a for-profit business that comedy can kind of sustain itself, which is a huge part of my philosophy. So I think you only create a product that you want to create long-term. You know, if someone's like, hey, Harrison, I want you to make a company where you guys do you guys do you write musicals mm-hmm. and then perform them for kindergartners. I could do that for a while, but I'm not going to be able to do that very long. I'm <laughs> right. not going to want to do it, you know. And I'm not going to be very good at it. We're good at the things that we enjoy. Right. Um, here's another plug for the Strengths Finder test. Have you taken that? It's really helpful. I haven't taken. To say it, like, but... here's what you're good at, and here's what you enjoy. It, it's less of a strengths finder. It's more of like a satisfaction finder. Mm-hmm. Here's what you enjoy doing. I enjoy communicating things. Mm-hmm. So you asked me to be on podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm down. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. this is fun for me, you know. And so you you say like. I can give on certain issues if other people are willing to kind of facilitate and run those things, mm-hmm. you know. But on the core parts of the theater, if they're not what I want to do, then I'm not going to be able to follow through them with, with due diligence, you That's know. That's true, yeah. And so a huge thing that I really try to push at Alchemy, uh, which helps because it's not my full-time job. It doesn't mm-hmm. pay all my bills. It doesn't give my kids health insurance. I think that gives me a lot of freedom. Um, that's not the opportunity that everyone else has uh, around the country is if someone comes to me with an idea that I was like, oh, that doesn't really interest me, but I, it would make sense that it might interest other people. If you're willing to do all the work <laughs> yeah. and you're willing to put it up and you've proven that you could do that you know, in other ways, totally down for that. Mm-hmm. You know, that we say yes as much, that's, that's improv. We say yes as much as we can, right? We want to support the ideas of other people. And that's been a huge philosophy of me that maybe has even changed as Alchemy's grown is uh, it's less about here's what Alchemy does, even though most shows or house teams mm-hmm. it's here's what alchemy does if you want to do things on top that's great we'll we'll, we'll find a place for it in the theater mm-hmm. um so even the idea of i can't remember if it was ever in the alchemy constitution but there was discussion of like a non-compete clause like should that be something we have and i think earlier i think i would have been more in favor of of it of like well if you're going to perform here don't perform in other places but i my philosophy has really changed on that and that it's less about don't perform here don't perform here but let us be your first place if you yeah. have a show, let us try to find a place for it, you mm-hmm. know, because we are here. We can support it. We want to make that happen. Um, and so I would say do the things that you feel like are true to your vision. And if there are things that don't match that vision, as long as they're not completely counterintuitive, right? As long as they're not, I have an idea for a stand-up show where we yell at babies, <laughs> right? Then, then you'll tend to try to find a place for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's why I would say, you know, advice for starting a theater. One of them is start a small theater. Find a small venue because mm-hmm. that just I think improv, especially as an art form, works better if you can do more shows to uh, to smaller groups of people than one big show. Right. You know, and just because because the whole what 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 we provide is performance space. 
you know? And so having a small venue makes that enormously easier. And I imagine confidence helps fuel that. I mean, you've processed what you wanted to do a lot, and then yeah. you had confidence in it. And, and I've that's seen why a lot of places. Stick to your guns. I was at DSI for three years. I've been to Theater right. 99 in Charleston a bunch. I've been to a bunch. I've been to an Atlanta Festival for years. I lived in Chicago for five weeks and did their intensive and saw how IO runs and a couple of the small indie theaters run. Uh, yeah, and I, I read and gobble up a lot of improv news. And so mm-hmm. I'm seeing what other people are doing. I mean, there's. I don't think it's anything that alchemy does that we created. Or, I don't know that's true for anyone, right? I mean, uh, Del Close wasn't in Chicago and goes, Harold, let's do it. It was this long process coming yeah. from St. Louis. That, you know, so it's a slow uh, evolution of here are the ideas. And and, and I think one of, one of my strengths on StrengthsFinders is the idea of like self-assurance. I feel mm-hmm. pretty comfortable with what I know. Uh, and one of the things that I mentioned at Alchemy Auditions, uh, I think it was a year or so ago, is that alchemy is a great third place for a right. lot of people. That your first place is your family. That's the people that you're going to be with, that your first obligation to. Mm-hmm. You know, and your second place is how do you provide for that family, whether it's your, your work or your church or what is that kind of immediate sub-family kind of around that, around that. And really, improv is not those things. I mean, I can't be your dad and I can't be your pastor, <laughs> right? right? Uh, but I can be your great third place, that place where you can go and blow off steam and learn and become better at your work and better mm-hmm. at your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and for me, it really, it is that, even for me. I mean, it's not my primary job. It's not my primary church. It's not mm-hmm. my primary family. And that, I think, takes a lot of the pressure off um, what, what alchemy is. You talk a lot about community, and it seems to be interwoven into some of the philosophies of how you run alchemy. Yeah. You also encourage people a lot. You give people, of course the opportunities to offer things to you but you also and you've done this with me said what i got to do to get you to coach one on one you know like yeah. i've seen you do that with other people too yeah. give people a lot of opportunity there is that from the philosophy of community what about that or what about yeah. running a theater makes you want I think to it was helpful for me to realize that not everyone speaks up when they think they might want to do something. Mm-hmm. Like I the moment i thought i might want to teach a class i said to Zach Ward i want to teach a class like that that mm-hmm. day Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, they think they mull over it for a long time. They think, could I do it? Could I not do it? Is it an appropriate time? I don't want to overstep my bounds. Mm-hmm. I think there's one positive of like the millennial generation is they ask. Yeah. I want to do this thing. And as long as they're comfortable hearing a no, I think that's a great strength <laughs> yeah, of, of our generation. I agree. Um, and that's I was an adult before I started just <laughs> asking for stuff. Yeah, and it's hard because it's a vulnerable yeah. thing, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't know means a no. Uh, but I, so I think I've learning that and, and understanding that people are different and saying and, and kind of calling on people. And it's also very empowered to be called on, you know, when mm-hmm. someone says, you should do this. It's like, yeah. well, should I do this? Should I think through that? Yeah. They may have wanted to do it, never thought they were capable of doing it. Someone else asking you to do yeah. it automatically says that somebody believes you can do it. Right. Even if you don't believe you can do it, someone else believes that you can do it. Yeah. That's and, a good thing. And like learning any skill is you do it a bunch and you fail at a bunch and that's just you get comfortable in that skill so you're bad at improv for years before you get a consistently good improv show. Right. So I, one of the early shows, the earliest show that we had, our local legend show, our Armando show, every week I'd have to email someone and say, hey, do you want to tell a story? <laughs> I get so many no's or so many no responses. I'll run into people in the community and there's a guy at my church. He's like, oh, hey, you've been emailing me. I was like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> right? Like, I was like, I get so many no's. And so I'm just so comfortable with no's. You yeah. Know? And, I, and, I, and I say that to people when I ask, I was like, hey, I'd love for you to coach a team next season. Think about it. If you say no, it's totally fine. I won't <laughs> even remember this conversation probably. Right? I'm just putting it out there. You know? And so I think I just ask a lot. And that's when our festival uh, gets organized. I just email all these people that have been on my mind that I've met or run, to, run into the last couple of years and say, mm-hmm. I'd love for you to come and do this thing. 
And probably some of them don't even respond. I don't even remember. Right. The ones that respond, they make it to the list, and we start making plans for shows and workshops. Yeah. You're putting so many feelers out there. Yes, feelers. And, and, it's, really and it's tough, but when you do get yeses and it's just trying to figure out and plan things, like what are you doing to plan everything better? Spreadsheets and Google calendars. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I do that is insane, and this is maybe something that changes as the theater grows because it gets more and more insane every time. And people who run theaters who are listening to this, uh, I assume they don't do this, is I plan out every single rehearsal for every single house team for the entire season. So there are over you know a dozen or so house teams. And when you get told which team you're on, you know exactly what your rehearsal schedule is. And you know exactly what all your show schedule is for five or six months. Which um, is super helpful. It's super helpful, yeah. And, but no one does that. <laughs> yeah, because it is incredibly time-consuming. <laughs> it is, but some people don't even want to do the basic. Yeah. I'm a stand-up. I know the yeah. basics are hard to get stand-ups to do sometimes. Right, yeah. I would love it if more people were much more organized. And, and I think what I, what, what, I, what I try to do is I try to like subsidize the things that I want to happen. So mm-hmm. I want you to make have rehearsal. We provide a free rehearsal space and we set out the rehearsal dates for you. We provide you with a free coach and a free mm-hmm. assistant coach. Uh, and everyone who's in the theater is not a jerk. For the most part, right? <laughs> right. These are pretty good incentives to show up, rehearse, have fun. Everyone goes out to make some food afterwards. Right. right. <laughs> so like, it's, it's harder not to go. Right. Because right? people say, hey, where were you? Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, and so, it was so fun to go. You feel like you're really missing something. Yeah, you and you are. Show up at like, that's one thing I say about improv, too, is like learning saxophone. I've done that. It's not that fun. But learning <laughs> improv is fun every time. Like failing and stuff is really, really fun at it. Yeah. I'm sure it's that way for saxophonists. Um, maybe. I don't know. I guess. We can, we can ask the saxophonists. Uh, but improv is just... The learning of improv is so much fun compared to I think, the learning of most other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think that just helps. So, yeah, I think I... I'm, I'm, I think it also comes from teaching and education, right? I know what they need to be at the end of the year. And so I say, okay, here's what I wanted to be. How can I take that backwards, you know? And so planning those things out, um, yeah, helps. And rehearsal is just such a part of our DNA, and I want it to be such a part of our DNA. And, like, mm-hmm. we take attendance. And there are rules about how much you can perform if you don't show up. And I think what it does is it just winnows out the people who – don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, that's totally fine, right? You have a first and second place. You have other obligations too, right? right? I, I don't want this that's to be your life. Accepting it's, a no. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. accepting a no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me you're going to do it and then and don't commit to six months up, and then right. don't show up. That's lame, <laughs> yeah. right? But always be comfortable, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what, since you've started the theater, has changed that you didn't think would change? Like, And this is, of course, for the people who are starting a theater now or wanting to start a theater in the, in the future. Yeah. It's so hard to answer that question because I'm always thinking and processing and changing. I mean, I have like a spreadsheet that I haven't looked at in a while that said like 2016 plans, 2017 plans, 2018 plans. And I go back and change it and edit it. Mm -hmm. And I can't even remember what it originally said, you know? (laughs) Right. So it's hard to know. I think it's always been an amorphous beast. Uh, And and for me, it's never been like, oh, we've been doing this. Now let's completely change and do something different. It's Mm -hmm. always been, we've been doing this. How can we put something else attached to it? You know, how can mm-hmm. we? It's like a how can we mega, grow? How can we grow? Yeah. yeah. So it's like not grow more of the same shows, mm-hmm. more of the same teams, but how, what's the new thing we could add? You know. Mm-hmm. So two years ago we added a sketch show, right, or a sketch team, and the sketch team looked totally different than it did now because it was a show that was functioned to get people to write a lot and put up a lot of stuff. It was like a randomized sketch show, you know. And then we ran that a couple times, a couple seasons, and then we had two, a couple smaller teams, and they created, you know, little independent uh, sketch shows. And then this season's more of like an all-star team yeah. with like a theme-based thing. And we're kind of working our way, but if we tried to do this 
theme-based show from the beginning. It would be so hard. So hard, yeah. Yeah. And so we wouldn't have, like, an archive of sketches to pull from. We wouldn't have that skill to say, like, oh, I know what kind of sketch needs to go here. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to know what's changed. But for me, it's just more of a, the beast keeps growing. Right. And not the same beast. It's like a multi-headed. Right. You grow a new head every time of <laughs> it's, what it's going to look like. Yeah. It's like Voltron with new parts. Yeah. And like another, a great example of that is I've been wanting an acapella musical improv show, a part of Alchemy, for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I think I even put it on the schedule like a year ago. Of like, who's interested in this? And we just didn't have the interest. But it's yeah. going to happen. Or we had you know? the interest, but not necessarily people who are trained enough. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that was the successful true. interest, right. <laughs> yeah, but I would say every season it's always been on my radar of something I want to happen. That would be fantastic. And, there's fi- and finally, kind of from that, it didn't happen, but part of the people who were interested in it kind of formed a little indie team. The indie hmm. team got a little better. We got a coach who's interested in doing it, so it's likely going to happen this next time. Oh, cool. Right? And so it's one of those things where, oh, now we can kind of add this type of show, you know? And, and maybe that show is so successful, it becomes the every Friday 7.30 show. Yeah. Who knows, right? Yeah. But being open to say, like, moving the puzzle pieces around and, and growing certain puzzle pieces. And we even had shows. We had a show, uh, Green Villager, improv inspired by the news. This mm-hmm. is like two years ago. It's kind of like an Armando, except with news. And the show was fine. Great coach, great cast. But they just weren't ready yet. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, these shows... I just didn't really set them up for success. So that team didn't continue. Other teams formed, blah, 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 blah. And then this season, we brought it back. And I, and I think we had the talent to actually pull off a, a regularly successful version of that show, uh, mm-hmm. which I think will work perfectly. So be good with change. Accept mm-hmm. change. Yeah, and accept failure, right? I mean, that was a no to myself. Absolutely, that was like, yeah. oh, I thought that was going to work. No, I guess yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. Well, that's part of, you know, it's one of those old sayings of, like, when you get knocked down, you just get back up, and you learn from that experience. Yeah, or, or in education, they call it like a growth mindset. Our goal mm-hmm. is to never have a kid show up and make 100. Mm-hmm. Our goal is for them to not know U.S. history or not know economics and then teach it to them. Right. And they slowly learn it. And they're better than they were. As long as you're better than you were the season before, then you could stay a part of the theater. That's great. Yeah. What philosophies would you suggest or, or things about running a theater would you suggest anyone starting to run a theater to hold on to tooth and nail is there anything mm-hmm. i mean obviously there's, there's, we're just to running discussing. an improv theater or anything like but probably uh you'd give the best answer for an improv theater but even if it's just like sticking to your philosophy or what your beliefs are yeah i mean i would say yeah find the things that interest you pursue those but be open to the other things that don't right mm-hmm. i mean there's so many things that have come out of alchemy that I had never even like table stands, right? At the theater. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like, that wasn't my idea. Someone's like, I want to do this. I was like, well, are you willing to do it? And they said yes, and we've had them for years. Right. So like be open to those ideas. So I'd say, yeah, like what are the things that you want to accomplish? How can you facilitate other people to accomplish those things mm-hmm. that they want to accomplish? You got to make sure they're doing it well, of course. Yeah, yeah. With yeah, with a level of quality and follow through that's, that's going to make the theater look good, mm-hmm. you know? Um, a question I ask a lot is a guy who's been a part of our theater for a long time. He's in and out. He moved back and forth. Joe. Joe Johnson. Oh, right. a nice, boring name. <laughs> he <laughs> could be anyone He could be America. anyone, right? Who's your Joe Johnson? <laughs> With that name. Uh, and, and the thing I ask people a lot is, is your idea good for Joe? Is it good for just the alchemy regular Joe? The regular person in alchemy? Mm-hmm. You want to create... Uh, a monthly stand-up show. Yeah, that seems good for him, right? He can see a stand-up show. He can be a part of it. You want to create uh, a stand-up show where you yell at babies. That doesn't seem very good for Joe, right? His mom's going to come to that show and say, I don't want to see these. Uh, So I I think asking yours, maybe this philosophy that I kind of stick to the most is don't burn people out. I always say I'd rather you be doing improv for 10 years than doing it a lot for one year, right? And so 
ask people to do things, but always give them an out, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and then if they say yes, really push them to follow through. So we're not asking you to, we're not, we're not looking for flaky people. We're looking for people who are honest about their commitments. Right. And, and praise people. I just sent someone an email today uh, because they sent back an email and said, hey, I would love to do that, but I just can't. I have a lot of stuff on my plate. I replied back and said, yep, this person does have a lot of stuff on their plate. And then I replied back individually to them and said, thank you for setting a standard of what healthy barriers look like and boundaries. Um, my wife's going to have a baby any day now, our third child. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking a paternity leave here at the school that I teach at. But I'm also taking paternity leave from the theater. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be there. And things will be a little bit worse than probably if I was. But it's more likely that I'm going to be here for 10 years. And that was always my commitment up top to the theater mm-hmm. is I'm going to live in Greenville forever. Yeah. I'm going to be the stabilizing force. I'm going mean, to My family's here. I, I'm going to be here forever. Alchemy's going to be here forever. Don't feel like you're going to save it. But you could definitely make it better. You right. know, you could definitely play a part of it. So I really try to remove my ego as much as possible. Um, I think that's it, a huge thing. Yeah, and I think it actually is easier for me because I am in charge. Mm-hmm. So there's not a struggle for power. I have nothing to prove. Yeah, I'm in charge, right? And so <laughs> if you want to be in charge of anything, that's great. I'm already in charge of too much, right? right. <laughs> and I think like decentralizing power has been helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and I, and, I, and I would say look at the other models of the companies you're work, working with. If you're trying to create a search engine company, see what Google is doing well. If you want to tr- create an improv theater, go to IO Chicago. What are they doing? How do they structure their teams? How do they do auditions? Herald commissions, mm-hmm. you know? What are they not doing well? How are they dealing with sexual harassment? Uh, you know, what are... Co- other theaters doing successfully. Mm-hmm. I mean, our our uh, festival is modeled after a couple of different festivals, right? Um, and so uh, it, it's the one that fits our city the best. And it's changed a little bit mm-hmm. here and there. Um, we more of a focus on sketch and stand up because it's something we don't provide a lot here, so it makes mm-hmm. it more of a unique experience for us. Um, yeah, so I think finding what you're interested in, be flexible, take your ego out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't say low expectations, but like appropriate expectations. I think right. us having a small venue was just such a, and again, like we stumbled into it. You know, it just so happened to have this wonderful venue right now. It's downtown. a really great spot. Yeah, I but mean, we can do six shows and maybe even only 150 total people show up. Right. right? That would be fine because yeah. there, it's a pretty small venue and it right. allows us to put up as many people as possible. You get 15, 20 audience members and that feels like a real feels show fine. in that space. Yeah, it feels yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah, and it allows people to put up their ideas. You know, right. if you have a, a theater that seats 300, how am I going to put my indie team up there? <laughs> right. You know? Um, right. But again, that's what fits Greenville, who's downtown right now is probably 70,000 people, you know, right. maybe 100,000. It's going pretty Vegas, fast. Yeah. But we're not huge. And <laughs> right. so it really fits us pretty well, yeah. You talking about juggling a lot of things. Speaking of that and being flexible, uh, you have a part-time job. You also mentioned that. Yeah. You're, you're, you have two part-time jobs. Yeah. You're running the theater and you're a teacher. Yeah. How does one approach that and keep their sanity yeah. and get everything done that they want to get done? Yeah. So you won't get everything done you want to get done. <laughs> that, I think, is a helpful. That's maybe one of the things that's changed in my head is you're not going to get everything done. So you're, you're just, just getting, prioritizing. You're just prioritizing. You're mm-hmm. doing what you can. So one thing that I like about my two part-time jobs. So I'm a high school teacher who mm-hmm. teaches uh, history, economics, and improv at the high school, and I also run Alchemy, um, is they they ask different things of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alchemy is just all-consuming, right? We're here at this podcast at night talking about improv. I, I'm going to night. I'm thinking about it at all times, right? Mm-hmm. It's on the weekends, especially. That's when it's really heavy, right? And then high school is... It's all consuming when I'm there. I mean, I'm incredibly present in the classroom and I'm, uh, you know, engaging with students and making sure they understand what it is what we're teaching, but I don't run the school. You know, right. I'm not in charge. <laughs> and I think I'm really honest in interviews about that is like, I'm not going to be 
the most reliable after school person and really even early morning person because I do a lot of improv at night. And so I, I kind of come in late. That's been a better schedule for me. Mm-hmm. And this school that I teach at now has just been such a wonderful fit because for them, they see it as an asset. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you have this great, what they call like a side hustle that makes you a better teacher in the classroom. You know, it creates a, a more dynamic experience for the students. Mm-hmm. And so, and I also have a wife who says this fits better for us. I can go into work a little later. I can drop the kids off at school and then I can be gone more at night when they're asleep. So I probably see my kids a little bit more than you would if I worked eight to five. That's really cool. Yeah. And so I think what I have, I'm, I think my You're recommendation. You're lucking in the stuff. I know, right? <laughs> That's it's your just, recommendation it's, is it's luck, luck in the stuff. Luck in the stuff, yeah. <laughs> Let the almighty God bless you with luck. Um, but I think for me, so my recommendation isn't be a high school teacher. That's not the solution. <laughs> right. But it's what is the thing that you can do, right, that allows you to kind of supplement improv, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it kind of gives you some balance to your life. If there's a bad improv show or a show that was pitched didn't go well, it's okay. I have my family and I have this other job. If school's not going great, then I have this other part of it, right? And mm-hmm. I'm never like all in on one part of, because it puts a lot of pressure, you know? Hey, you guys need to do this really good improv show so I can put my kids through college. <laughs> that's, that's tough, right? That would be, yeah. That's really stressful. And so I think having that balance, and I think, again, also knowing I, I can't do it all, you know? Um, mm-hmm. you, you took you came on as uh, an assistant festival producer this year, mm-hmm. and that's just been so so helpful. And it's I think I think I can see praising it, people. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, and I see people who take ownership. So here's a great example. I love my children mm-hmm. uh, more than other children because I take care of them. Mm-hmm. And love is an action, and the more that you take care of someone, the more you love them. Right? It's not you think it's the other way around. Like oh, I love you, so I'll take care of you. But it's really the opposite. And so the more ownership you can give people, you know, asking them like, hey, it would be great if you could be, you know, a fest producer here or if you could help, you know, watch these festival videos and mm-hmm. give me feedback on it, right? Because your input's just as good as mine, right? Um, gives people an ownership of the theater, gives people an ownership mm-hmm. of the festival, gets them more buy-in, right? Because mm-hmm. we can't ask people to commit a large portion of their life to something they don't have a lot of control over. Right. Right? So giving them as much as that as possible. And I would say, I mentioned like why I was Alchemy pretty successful early on because we had those other founders who were mm-hmm. so talented and so wonderful. Super talented, yeah. Right? And I say a lot that our improv classes teach you improv and teach you skills, but they're also just like a big filter system for awesome people. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like you're willing to show up, make yourself vulnerable, support people, engage in the arts, right? But also not engage in the arts, fancy-smancy arts, right? It's like this very practical skill set, and it, it creates a company now of 70 interesting, fun, mostly kind people. Right. Yeah. And so it's it's <laughs> that one person who's that not one kind. person who I'm in this podcast with who's We're, not oh, what? what? Uh, yeah. And so it creates reliable people. And and sometimes you give opportunities and it doesn't work out. You say, well, that's all right. Mm-hmm. You're not gone forever, but this probably isn't going to work out for you right now. You know, right. you take risks, and if you fail, you say oops, and you move on. Yeah. Good philosophy. A lot of good stuff in there. I feel like we've gotten to the end of oh, yeah. the episode, which nice. I always try to create something with mm. the guest. Yeah. Don't know what we could create yeah. based on how much we were talking about running a theater and yeah. philosophies of of just approaching running things and being a part of things. Uh, what could we create? Uh, yeah, we can. I mean, we could. Add, I mean, what are the things that you feel like if you wanted to? have like a side hustle that allows you to do comedy full time and still pay your bills and put your kids through college. What does that look like what for you? What look like? So what are we going to create? We're going to create a counseling session for Jason. <laughs> Honestly, I've... Because you're so, moving to New York. I am, right. Yeah. 
I love to like my new job. I'm doing traffic reporting on the radio. Yeah, and I love it. Yeah, because they're great people who work there. Yeah, uh, some old friends there. So that's been really fun. But being able to basically perform, right. basically performing. I mean, what's education? What's teaching? Right. I mean, it's very. <laughs> it's not a completely different piece, right? It's, right. I'm presenting content. Exactly. In an interesting, yeah. Engaging way. I like doing. I like broadcasting. Yeah. So. I realized recently how much I like it, and and the whole whole thing, not just I get to be on the radio type thing, that's not even on my mind. Yeah, I like the act of yeah. trying to put something together and broadcasting right. that and editing stuff together. Yeah. I love doing that. So yeah. I realized recently I could be doing anything if I'm doing that. I could be anywhere, right. and I'll be happy. Yeah, and it's not like I'm getting. Uh, you know, uh, $50,000 a year doing this and I'm yeah. still like super happy doing it. So yeah. my side hustle still have something to do with broadcasting. Yeah. That's, that's more than likely. Yeah. It'd be interesting for you to go to New York, learn how to become an improviser and kind of hone that philosophy, that comedy side, your stand up side and whatever, but also hone the broadcast side, right? That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Like to really say, I'm going to a city that has everything. <laughs> like literally it yeah. has everything, yeah. right? And to make that your broadcast grad school as well. Right. That right? would be really good. I think I feel like that'd be a little bit harder for me to make my way into I don't know. but I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea yeah. either. I have no idea. But I think one of the cool things about moving from uh, uh, moving to a larger market is you you get the top tier. The top tier is better, right? The better yeah. there, there are better improvisers in New York than there are in Greenville because there's ten thousand improvisers in New York. <laughs> and they right? would be real good to yeah, get. Yeah, yeah. And so their top tier is just better, right? There goes mm-hmm. it goes a little bit higher. And I assume that's true of everything. So even if you're an intern at a broadcasting world type right. job, you're learning from that top tier, right? Mm-hmm. And then you bring that resume back. I mean, how many people who are on local TV stations or local radio stations or starting improv theaters right. said, I came from somewhere else that had already been established and I bring that wisdom here. Right. Um, which that's, maybe is like the core stuff. philosophy of how the theater was started, right? It's mm-hmm. like, go learn as much as you can and then what <laughs> do you provide here that is not here? You know, what's your advantage? Yeah. Right. And I think what I provided, so if I could like summarize the most unique part of Alchemy's DNA, it's citizen performer. It's that I am a performer who also is a part of the regular world of Greenville and education is is my example. Mm -hmm. But the other founders were an architect, a historian, an engineer. Mm -hmm. It's a part of our theater that everyone has day jobs. Right. And it it informs the kind of philosophy of how the theater functions. Mm -hmm. For that reason, everyone rehearses because no one's like an actor. Right. Right. No one's like a full time. All I do is I perform in plays or movies or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? Except for me, kind except, of. <laughs> except for you, kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where, like, uh, yeah, so that's a huge, like, we are, I mean, even Greenville, the DNA of Greenville is commerce. Yeah. Right? It is business. Absolutely. And so that's very much shaped, I think, how we produce shows and how we cast shows and the types of people who function well here, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, is what that looks like. Yeah, no one no one in Greenville is trying to make it famous, right? If someone's right. like, I want to do more than this, mine's on, like, great. Leave. Yeah, you're gonna. You can't do it here, right? (laughs) I mean, what we do is we provide a great place for people to learn. I I think skills that make them better at the second and first places of their life create a great community. I mean, so much of the model of how alchemy is structured is the model of how the church is structured. Of like this kind of large umbrella with these sub teams that are that work as like tiny little communities, Mm -hmm. right? Where people are kind of giving feedback to each other with a larger kind of checks and authority of the organization itself. yeah, and so what does that look like in your city? What does that look like for you? Yeah. That's my side hustle. There we go. <laughs> Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, man. Jason. 
There it is, my side hustle. I'm coming at you, New York, with my side hustle game. Yeah, laser sharp. I hope you enjoyed that and learned a lot. I learned a lot from it, and I'm a part of Alchemy. If you want to learn more about Alchemy, you can go to alchemycomedy.com, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Alchemy Comedy. If you want to find out more about the New South Comedy Festival, which starts tomorrow, November 3rd, you can go to NewSouthComedy.com. And we are running this great festival until the 12th. Acts from all over the country are going to be there. I'm thoroughly looking forward to it. And if you live in the surrounding area or if you don't, you should make a trip here, okay? Buy a ticket. Come to lovely Greenville, South Carolina. Go to GSP, fly into GSP Airport, and then Uber to downtown, and then check out these shows, and then go back where you came from. Or stay here forever. It's a lovely city. I'm leaving it, but it's still a lovely city. If you want to know more about the podcast, you can go to thereitispod.com. You can read up on old blogs, listen to old episodes, and you can support the podcast. If you have Thereitis, you're going to want to support this podcast. You can find us on social media, Twitter and Facebook, at There It Is Pod. You can find me at Jason Farr Jokes. I hope you do. Let's chat. Be nice. It's the internet. Not enough niceness on the internet. So if you contact us, please be nice. Join me next week. I have another fun episode. It is with Brandy Sullivan of Theater 99 in Charleston, South Carolina. It's a great one. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.